first responders are hailed as heroes. They should be. However, the other first responders are unknown and placed in the background of public support and accolades. The ground has shifted. COVID-19 and George Floyd murder has shown how compassionate some of us are and are different. We can be. Personally, I was in a vulnerable state. I was injured, my medication gone, and I had little money. I had callous, indifferent park staff who refused to open the restroom while they stayed inside of the park in their offices. Sometimes I couldn't make it in time being on a walker. Other parks were granting access, except the park in Chinatown. Food was the next hurdle. Restaurants were shuttering and $100 can only go so far on the SNAP program where the restaurants close. SNAP, for the ones that are not familiar with this program, is a program that allows you to get hot food and sit down at restaurants. SNAP allows you to have a shot at eating inside a restaurant, but when they close, that shot is gone. This became an abrupt, frightening ghost town. While the world was giving flyovers to medical personnel and fawning over police officers, another group of first responders were out there. They understood the forgotten, the unheard, and the unseen were in need. People like Kathy Huck, Mary Kinney, Jane Wynn, Melissa Asadero, Jed Perriott, Joanna Swan, David Hugh, Pete White, General Dogon, and many, many more were seeing the need and were answering the call. So this episode is honoring and mentioning the first responders you see. City Hall and other government officials applaud themselves as caring and putting the needs of the city in their system. Housing is a human right. However, a new wave of unhoused people are on the way onto the streets. The city's response is to create a lottery akin to the Hunger Games, dealing with this unprecedented crisis has put us close to the brink of change. Will we meet that challenge is the question. The tennis union in Glendale seems to be answering and stepping up. They met this week to remind City Hall that they work for the people and they demand eviction bans, cancellation of back rent to curb the inevitable tide of houselessness. If this does not happen, the catastrophic results will be very severe. Please join us for this episode 28, The Other First Response. Good evening, this is C.O. Henderson from Weedy and House. I'm here in the studios on the field. I'm having a conversation with a kind man and I want him to tell us a little bit about his story, uh, just to let us understand what it's like to be out here. What's your name, sir? Uh, Clifton Hill. Mr. Hill, uh, tell us, how long have you been out on the streets? I guess for about uh, three years, but I was in hotels before that by my own help and the help of friends until my bank account was electronically robbed some kind of way in this electronic age. 
Yeah. So how did you become unhoused? Uh, well, I was living with a room, three roommate situation, and the rent became extraordinarily high. Then uh, my best friend that I had known for 30 years and I lived with, his parents passed, and he had to move to New York. And then I had to move, and because two people couldn't afford uh, 3000 or more rent, so. So um, you've been out here in the street. Uh, has anyone talked to you about what about COVID-19? How are you surviving out there? Uh, I'm doing fine, thank God for that. Because you know, when you're spiritually aware of things, it's not as you're not as fearful as some people are that are not as okay. spiritually aware. So has anyone talked to you about COVID-19? Yes. yes. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. I, I know that you're taking. You have masks and things like that on. Yeah, yeah I try to keep it neat and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I and when I have a chance, I kind of rinse down this stuff. You know, when yeah. I have yeah. Well, I, obviously, I noticed that you know you're very organized. <laughs> I peeped that out. I was, oh yeah, he's like uh, he's he's keeping his things clean. Uh, so, what is it that? Um, how can we help you if we want to get help you get you back on your feet? What would be good for you? Well, the best thing for me is I try to get. A, I do have a social security income from working, uh -huh. but like until it's adjusted right and put back to the right thing, you know, with God's help, I have to do that and be patient. I can't really do anything with a fluctuating thing. When it used to come in at 999, now it comes in at 1,005, when it should come in at 1,203 or something. Yeah. You know, yes. you know, it's been... Very difficult. Electronically, just kind of altered some kind of way through some means, you know, like some people have had that. Have you heard of the Project Room Key? I think I have. Well, Project Room Key is for people like us um, it's a, uh, to get into a hotel where you don't pay rent, you have your own room, your own shower, and of course there's some other uh, stipulations, but um, if you have any pre-existing health conditions, they probably bump you up on to, of the condition of the list. Is that, do you have any of these? No, not really. No. Yeah, you so um, this is one of the uh, options to look into, but I, I, want, I thank you for your time because well, you know, I know you you've been- your help. I appreciate you very much. So I, like I said, you know, I come out and I see you all the time and I just wanted to let you know that people, I see you and I understand the struggle and just keep a positive attitude. Uh, is the organization that you're uh, representing, God must have put it in their hearts to help people because some people in their organizations do things, but it's not to really help people, it's to help themselves, but it helps people. But I thank God for the help you guys do. Thank you very much. This is Theo Henderson from Weed and House, and I thank you all for listening. May we again meet in the light of understanding. Thank you very much. For thank you. I appreciate it. Henderson from Woody and House. We're still um, milling about and we have watched an exciting, energetic, as you can hear, energetic group of people distribute food on Sunday. In the studios is Monique. Hi, everyone. And Todd. Yes, hello, everyone. 
So tell us, because they say that you're one of the big, uh, the big uh, cheeses here. So tell us, <laughs> how does this come about? Uh, well, basically, um, when the pandemic hit, um, we were still doing some outreach and still trying to find out what folk needed. Right. And we saw that all of the services and the places where people usually get food had just completely shut down. Yes. Also because people, they, the stay in place order, um, people were just staying at home so they weren't coming and kind of giving out food in the way that they usually did too. Exactly. So, you know, we saw people literally starving, like just walking around hungry, angry, everything. And so we knew that we had to do something. So we started to um, get food, get meals in, ask folk if they could donate some food and, and non-perishable foods too and waters. Um, also, we put together some immune boosting um, packs that was ginger, turmeric, lemon, garlic, just so that people, yes, so that people could help fight what we knew was coming. So that's really how it came about, just seeing that all of the services and stores were closed and people couldn't access food anymore. Yeah, we were also a source for people every Thursday. We had a farmer's market here. Oh, okay. Um, and because everyone else was closed, we had to close as well. And so we have a, a rooftop garden upstairs and we made cheese and salads and all those kinds of things we put in the meals as well. So. Mm -hmm. That's, that's how part of, part of how it gets started off, so there's a need for our business to do it. I noticed this farmer's markets have returned. Are you guys thinking about bringing the farmer's market back? Because I know that that was very crucial and intricate, because there's a lot of vegetarians and health-conscious unhoused people, but they cannot or don't have their uh, access to the things that you guys are providing. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. on, on Wellness Wednesdays, mm -hmm. uh, we do have, we harvest the food that we grow up in the garden. Right, right. So we have salads there, we have fruits and vegetables, so we do still have that on Wednesdays. Oh, excellent. Sure. And we're still really, we're still not absolutely 100% into like being social you know, the whole socializing in big groups uh, people want to hang out at the, at the market and things like that so a lot of markets have been very uh, reticent to open they've been not always been successful they can't have processed food there uh, so it's like we're just this is our outlet for that and we've not expanded to two days a week one day so hopefully it all helps out as well can we talk a little bit about food justice because we um, are talking because this is a necessity thing many times people talk about uh, protesting and waving signs and things like that but this is the intricacy part, uh, uh, intricate part of what our survival is, like food. Everyone needs food, no matter what side of the, uh, the, the question is on. So why is it so important for food justice of here for the, uh, the unhoused and the people that are food insecure and house insecure? People just don't have access to healthy food. And we see that this right here, uh, Skid Row, is um, it's a food desert. There's no, there's nothing fresh here. There's nothing organic here. Um, and so we know that that's so necessary to have it. It's intentional. It's very intentional. People, folk that are in this area, it's not just by chance. This is something very intentional. And so the conditions that are here kind of help to... Uh, go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, just recognizing that people, you know, have underlying health conditions and don't have access to food, healthy food. Mm -hmm. It's a really important aspect of our work to make sure that we have that here in the LA can. I, I agree. I, what I noticed too is the deliberate method of it, as well as the food markets that they have there. So that I was trying to stay healthy. It's expensive. Yep. So I mean, and especially the food market in, in other areas. It's, uh, it's extremely expensive. Yeah. yeah. We knew from our food assessment study that like it's actually two and a half times more expensive than the markets that are just a few blocks away. Uh, and the markets that have come close to the here are also very, very expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't really find organic produce, uh, fruits or vegetables around here anywhere except here at our farmer's market and uh, a few other places. But um, yes, basically that's, that's the deal. So um, as, as this is growing, because I noticed the 
how quickly you guys had people such a need was here. Um, do you guys have plans of an expansion or thinking of um, thinking of expansion plans? Um, well, we're kind of monitoring the situation. Um, at the moment, this is what we're, we have capacity to do. Mm -hmm. um, if it looks at the, as, as though we need to be here more days of the week, then we may do that. But at the moment, we're just planning on being here for the Sunday Strong and Wellness Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. Uh, expanding, I mean, there is so one way that we expand is we take meals out to across what I call across town, but across in Fifth and St. Peter, which is only two blocks away, but uh, and several blocks down. But a lot of those people, because they live in tents, they don't want they can't leave their place, so we bring food to them. So that's one way we're expanding. Uh, yeah. I think that's an excellent idea because I, I notice when I do uh, some of my outreach as well, um, people because things can happen when you uh, we all so know police officers or people things get missing or thrown in the trash and things like that. And one of the most major things that I noticed yesterday that there is a hunger need and then there's also a thirst need um, as well as like water because I, I, I believe in giving more than one bottle of water because it's just too hot out there to be sitting all day in your tent and in one bottle of water you go through it very easily. Um, so how um, I noticed you guys have a hydrophonic uh, pond but what are you guys doing with like the other aspects like water and other things like that you guys I know you guys do other things or what, what's 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 that about? well the aeroponic and hydroponic towers that we have out there are uh, well they're saying they use 90% less water yes than in ground uh, in soil gardens uh, so that's one way we're trying to contribute we're also looking at some other new advanced services where they're actually uh, they create water out of air basically from the humidity mm -hmm. uh, which would which would lessen our reliance on the groundwater mm -hmm. kind of, uh, that, that, that stuff um, in terms of other water, we, we give away water all the time with our meals. Um, so we're good. We're dedicated. Hand washing stations too. Yeah, the hand washing um, stations. Well, that's the yes. water thing. Yeah, yes. hand washing is critical. We, that, yes. How can we, if people are watching this, um, want to get involved and help with these kind of things? Um, because some people are not going to be going out on the protest line, but they can, they are chefs. Some of them can do, have uh, a skill in farming or agricultural, because I'm just having to talk to someone that has that. <laughs> and you know, I do oh, a husbandry or whatever. Um, how can they become involved? What, do you, what would you suggest for them? Uh, reach out to us. I mean, uh, they can go onto our website, www.cangress.org, mm -hmm. um, or go to our Facebook page and find a way to contact us. We always need people to kind of help with the food supplies mm -hmm. and the water so if people do have fresh um, organic fruits and vegetables that they want to donate to us mm -hmm. we'd love to receive it um, money donations too we need money to help buying these things and keep exactly. it going so exactly. yeah. yeah we're always looking for uh, an opportunity to feature chefs that are like interested in doing creating we've had several chefs who've created signature products for us to, to sell for this community mm -hmm. uh, and it's always a delight when, just to see when people from other areas come in because they always are always delighted. They feel like that there's so much hope uh, here, certainly with us and all the relationships we have with them. So. And also sharing recipes too. Yeah. Um, we do cook food, sometimes we make meals. Oh. And oftentimes in community people say, well, did you know that this works? And, uh. you know, so just sharing meals and dishes, it would be really good as well. Who knows, you might as LA can might have a recipe book out there soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, That's yes. coming, yes. it's coming. Yeah. Yes. Good. Uh, we all need to eat healthy myself included but i believe that food justice is, is just as important as standing out there and speaking out against the other injustices that occur and i thank you for your time todd and monique uh, this is theo henderson from weedy and house i thank you all for listening and may we again meet in the light of understanding
this is Theo Henderson from Woody on House. I have a returning guest that was so awesome before, and I'm so excited to have her here because she's making her dreams, her visions work, and it's in action. This is Melissa Asadera, who is with Polo Pantry, and look at right here on a Sunday, um, the spirit of an ingenuity and just backbone on what uh, has been accomplished. We talk about food justice, and here is Melissa. Uh, say hello to the guest. <laughs> we then house community. Thank you for listening to Theo. Um, I've been such a. I, I've owed a lot to Theo to really kind of get me to talk about my story. So I appreciate you guys being here today. So thank you for being here. So again, for the audience, what motivated and inspired you to do this? Well, um, uh, I mean, I just you know, especially with COVID, I, I felt like there were a lot of. Uh, areas that needed that needed help and um, really it was like a video that I saw that LA can had posted about um, Skid Row, uh, the Skid Row era basically like not having enough food and so I think from there I basically just DM'd them. I said hey how can I help and then that's, that's why we're here. Prior to this, that uh, Melissa has been running around giving food to other unhoused places that we would con uh, coordinate and connect in different areas, and we were doing a network and we were talking about it. And so this just seems like a, a, a kismet uh, experience to have this here. So how often is, uh, do you guys do this? Every Sunday. Every Sunday for the past, I don't know, like... 14, 14, 15 weeks. Okay. I want to bring in um, Alex, too, who is my partner in this. Oh, um, cool, yes. Yeah, we created, we basically created the project together that um, tapped into a huge network of volunteers, uh, of cooks, and drivers, basically. So this is like, hey, Kyle, this is like a, a culmination of a lot of people's hands. So when does the big event start? Because I see you guys working like busy bees. Um, well, right now, it's about 12.30, so we should probably should be starting up in like, I don't know, maybe in like 15 minutes. Hey! Sorry! Yes, I was seeing people come in. Come on in, yeah. So Alex is the gentleman there with power, yes, right? Yes, 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 yes. So actually, Alex. Alex. So this is Alex, and he's the ED for EX. Oh, so nice. I want Alex to also talk about like the project we started together. Without yes. him, yes. honestly, this also would not be possible. So Alex, what happened? How did this come yeah, about? How did this come oh about? man. Talk to him. Uh, well, it all starts with relationships, right? And yes. so knowing Mel through Danny Park of Skid Row Coffee, Skid Row yeah. oh, People's wow. Market. Skid Row People's Market. Yeah. Oh wow. We love you, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all Shout relationships, right? Yes, 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 and, yes. Uh, when the pandemic hit, just figuring out how like our community could be a service, and um, knowing Mel and like the grassroots organizing she does, and all in the food insecurity world, for sure, like when it comes to people's basic needs um, during the pandemic, mm -hmm. food was something that we thought, okay, we could probably help with that. So yes. we started to explore like what that could look like. Yeah. At first, it started with like. Maybe we could get our friends to pack like 50 meals and then we yeah, can like yeah, serve, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. we're like, once word spread about like us wanting to do that, then more people were like, oh, I want to cook meals at home. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. you know, 50 turned into 500, turned into 1,000. Now we're at like 10,000. 10,000? Uh, 10, yes, yeah. My goodness. And what's amazing about what we did was we literally was like at his house. Mm -hmm. We sat down and talked about like how they could plug in. Yeah. And so it was just like, thinking of like a food program that we could do. Basically what I was doing 
would almost extend that to like an army of people doing it. So, and then just basically plugging in our partners like LA Can, Streetwatch, Cape Town, and then we partnered with our my buddy um, God's Pantry, so we could get like food as well. So for people who want to cook but don't have access to, um, you know, like money to be able to cook, we still want people to be able to contribute. Exactly. If they yeah. Exactly. So, yes. so. It takes a village, and every yes. every uh, leaf on the tree makes the whole tree. Yes. So I, I totally agree with that. I, we were talking earlier uh, in a previous interview about uh, food justice, yes. and I was telling you how my mother was one of the people in the civil rights yes. movement right and things there. like that, yes. um, cooking and things like that for the churches in order for them to eat and go out and do the protesting. Yes. She was kind of behind the scenes when she wanted to be, but what she was really important is like a lot of the black uh, women at that time were behind the scenes that never got the credit. And you were saying you was inspired by that as well. So. Yeah, like definitely like the, the movement that your mom was part of is huge influence to me. Like I'm wearing this right now, the free like yeah. Black Panthers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. Awesome. <laughs> which, which I love to sort of evangelize to people, especially if they're kind of new to food justice, that mm -hmm. the history of a lot of food programs that we have in the US really has stemmed from the Black Panthers as well. And also from movements like your mom's or part of like women in church kitchens, in yep, their kitchens exactly, cooking. Exactly. And that's, I feel like in a way, our, our work honors that work. Exactly. You know? And not only that, for like you have on, we have a program called WIC, which comes out of the Black Panther movement, yes. which is what they always talk about uh, the negatively about yes. Black Panther. But they did a lot of good that, again, here is a community organization program that did it for themselves that now the state has co-opted yes. and then villainized. Yes. So what I wanted to worry was like, this is one of the things that when we talk about the other first responders, most people see police officers, which I don't know why we always uh, harp on them, or, or other uh, nurses or medical, they're important, but we don't solve, this is an important part of our society that is always overlooked. Uh, what can we do to get people to become more involved into this movement? Man, I think uh, one, just belief. Like, believing that you actually have power and that you can make a difference. And then people power, like getting involved with your friends or with people you want to be spending time with. And then putting your brain power together to think about what makes sense for you and your friends. What you're interested in also, right? Like, we wouldn't only be doing this if we were also weren't interested in black rights and human rights and L.A. Can's work. Mm -hmm. If I didn't love Melissa, right? Like, <laughs> like at the root of all this is yeah. like a deep yeah. care for one another. Yeah, right? yeah. And so if you have that with your friends or family, like bring everyone together yeah. and like think oh, about what on, you could do. Very good, very good. Well, this man too, I think what's beautiful about Alex's work um, is the, the, I think kind of like the, the catalyst for EIC really was a way for people to kind of like almost reimagine what connecting means. And so um, we've done other projects prior to this. And I think what we really taught me and our friend Danny was to also take care of ourselves. Like we, yes. we, we have a, you know, we have a self care. Yeah. Yes. But like EIX has been incredible with like making sure that the helpers are also taken care of. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, that's important too for the work that we're doing. Yeah. Um, look, 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 it's fun. It's right? fun look right at the vibe here. Music going, I'm like, I'm ready to go. I gotta dig. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta remember. It's nourishing yourself yeah. at the same time as when you're giving yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. it's like, you know, like we, we're, we're constantly learning from each other. Yeah. The same yeah. way that you and I are constantly learning from each other. Yeah, exactly. 
Nas podcast teaching us as well. Yeah. 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 So I think that's what it is too, is those partnerships. Yes. And, and really nourishing those partnerships. Do you think defunding the police would be uh, some of the money that's taken would benefit from this, uh, taking come to yes. these kind of organizations? Yes, absolutely. I hope so. Yeah, I hope, and I hope it brings in more average people who are like, I want to help and be a part of the solution. If there's more avenues for people that are funded, mm-hmm. right? I yeah. think that yes. would be a huge difference. Yeah. You know, there's a, a subtle campaign that's been going on where one of the other activists that goes out and uh, feeds uh, communities on Saturdays, the police is always trying to subtly target them by telling them to move their cars and or move the locations because of that. Um, what? Because partly it's driven by the NIMBYism, because sometimes the NIMBYs have a loud voice and then the city council gets scared and police are in, in heaven and then they're on board with a lot of the harassment tactics. What do you think we could do to that? that? Yeah, I'm a big believer in just firsthand experiences and mm-hmm. building relationships and just bringing people into the spaces where everyone else is, right? And like come into each other's backyards mm-hmm. and like let's connect and like learn about each other's mm-hmm. experiences. Get out of the fear mindset, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, the othering that we do, yeah. uh, we've been conditioned to do. And yep. so the more spaces we can create for people to just connect yeah. with yeah. is the answer. 100%. And to add to what Alex said, yeah, again, like telling the stories from the people that we serve, absolutely. Like, um, you know, like I, what's made, I feel like my work and our work impactful is that I listen to you, I listen to Harvey. Mm-hmm. To your lived experiences because you guys understand the lack of resources that are happening out there and so it's not coming into a space like thinking that we can come in with solutions but reverse that and basically ask the people who are deeply affected by it and really do our due diligence to completely amplify their voices yeah, yeah. excellent i have one last question and i, I heard a rumor and it may be true or not, but I heard that, and I have to get you from you first because I, I I trust your your sources is unimpeachable. I heard that Melissa was out here dancing. Is that true? Oh yeah, man. I mean, in about 30 minutes, you'll see the last secrets of me on. Not just Melissa, but everybody, right? Everybody, from people we're serving. To, man, it's all love, man. It's all love. You care to comment on that? Is there any video footage on that? I'm pretty sure this man has video. You can also fast peep too. So. Okay. Well, well, thank you. I just had to ask because why am I wanting to know? This is Theo Henderson for Weed and House, and I thank you all for listening. And may we again meet in the light of understanding. We're about to start. 
This is Theo Henderson from Weedy Unhoused. I'm here in the hub of social justice and change. This is the Los Angeles Community Action Network. They have been instrumental for a lot of victories that is unknown about for human rights for unhoused community. As you can see, uh, we here, uh, are in, prepare, in preparation of a feeding a distribution network. So let's get uh, the, the viewpoint and statement from General Dogan. General Dogan, thank you again for sh joining us. Oh, power to the people. Oh yeah, for sure, all the time, man. So I'm noticing behind us we have um, a urban farm. What's what's this? What's this about? It's a hydroponic garden. Is what they what it is. And so what it is, it's a system basically where. Um, you don't have to water it. It waters itself. Oh, All right. Really? And so they got these little bitty little balls. Mm -hmm. You don't know if you can really see them, but there's little balls right here. See that? Yeah. Uh -huh. And they have seeds in them. It's a little ball of just dirt. Oh, okay. And they got little holes in this this um uh, tall like tower system. Mm -hmm. And it's like about maybe 40 holes in each tower system. And okay. You stick one of these little balls that has the dirt and the seeds already in it. Right, and uh, and you uh, and, and, and it waters with all by itself. Right? I noticed lettuce is growing out of and this so, one. And so yes, this is a, a garden that you could just as long as the water is on there, mm -hmm. it, it grow and it grows overnight, which oh, is so wow. crazy. I mean, you put the stuff in there today, uh -huh. and you wake up tomorrow, you eating salad. <laughs> 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 all, all you need, all you need, just come out here with your plate and your dressing <laughs> and something to fight with. Exactly. You know, you're parking the spoon. Exactly. Uh, if you got some steaks, you know, I mean, I'm there with you. So it's like, uh, wh who, whose idea was doing this? Because I noticed you guys are really about a lot of types of. Form uh, just uh, justice things. For example, food justice. People miss. Uh, we we're not all protests, and we're not all about yelling this. But we're talking about really economic development and different things like this. So what what got this going? So I mean, this is part of the fight. I mean, we gotta just like we gotta have our own soldiers, our own military. We gotta have our own garden, our own food. We can't we can't depend on the enemy to feed us during a time of war. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, we gonna be starving mother others. Point, go good. So with that said, we have our own rooftop garden yeah. as well. Can you we know, take a look at that yeah, as well? Sure, I invite you to go up there. Man, you can probably talk to my brother Ray right here. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? I mean, who's more he, he's on the, the team food, you know, uh team. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Okay. But we call it uh, uh wellness and justice. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And so what it is is it's, it's it's justice coming together with community wellness. We understand that Skid Row historically is a community mm -hmm. that has been greatly deprived. It's a right. recovery community. Right. And a lot of people is either actively in their addiction or they just came out of their addiction. Exactly. Right. And then it's a, a extremely low end income, impoverished community that's exactly. been totally impoverished. And, right. and we don't have, unfortunately, we don't have a rouse. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Skid Row. Yeah. We got stores in our community called the Green Apple, mm -hmm. but believe me, you won't find a Green Apple nowhere in them. We got some food with some green stuff on it, which but I would advise you to eat. <laughs> but, uh, you know, then the prices, the prices is the highest prices, you know, in the in the nation. Yeah. This is the poorest community in the nation. Yeah. And we, we downtown is being gentrified, mm -hmm. right? And it used to be the cheapest part of the city. Now mm -hmm. It's the most expensive part of the city. And heavily policed, I understand, too. And heavily, too. You got more cops on Skid Row than any other part of the, 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 the nation. Yeah, right? Yes. Uh, under the Safer Cities Initiative, uh, the city uh, was policing Skid Row uh, at a cost of $100 million annually. Mm -hmm. Right? For 10 years straight, they invested uh, over $100 million in just policing about 15 square blocks of Skid Row. Mm -hmm. Right? About from Main Street to where we're standing at now, right, by right, Green right. to uh, mm -hmm. Gladys Street. Right. And so... 
After 10 years of policing, before they started, it was a little less than about 200 tents on the street. Mm -hmm. Now it's 5,000 plus mm -hmm. tents on the streets, right? And so we told them, you cannot police your way out of homelessness. Exactly. The only solution to homelessness is what? Housing. 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 Exactly. Right. It's so simple, but it's like it's, it, we get so many permutations of resistance on that. And I mean, they spent more money on Triple H because they really yeah. spent a billion point five, you know what I mean? Just ten years, just some police did. Mm. They just that was a gift that was given LAPD. Mm. Then on top of that, uh, uh, the city was given LAPD eighty-seven percent of the homeless budget, which was another hundred million dollars. So how the hell are you gonna end homelessness when you're giving the cops eighty-seven percent to police the police the, the homeless? Outright ridiculous. And then on top of that, they was getting another fifty-four percent of the general fund, <laughs> overall budget, yeah, right? So three of the top budgets in the city was going to them, and then that don't include all the other little fake programs that they got, you know what I'm saying, like CSP, mm -hmm. Community, uh, what they call it, Community uh, 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 Safety Partnership, yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, oh, yeah. Community Safety Partnership uh -huh. Program, yeah. stuff like that. What kind of partnership we have with the police, the police, the, the people in the community see as terrorists, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We don't see you as uh, serving and protecting our communities. Right. We see you as every time you turn the corner, little kids is running, adults mm -hmm. is talking about you. Mm -hmm. We see you as terrorists mm -hmm. because everybody is getting harassed. Somebody Somebody's getting a ticket. Somebody's going to jail, and unfortunately, somebody gets shot. You know, right? And so we don't need you in our community. We don't even. We won't even call you. We don't even want. We hate you. Mm -hmm. Don't even come over here, mm -hmm. right? You taking all the money. You know, here it is. You got people that's laying on the street, dying three a day, mm -hmm. right? In the city of Los Angeles, and the mayor's idea is to give LAPD a raise. You know what I mean? This is how we got in this situation yeah, yeah. by LAPD blood sucking. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The uh, the community and blood sucking uh, the whole city. Basically, you know, that mean for resources that they don't need. I have a question too because people. Oh, and then on top of that, uh, 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 before Bratton left, he said crime was down 54 percent. Mm. I mean, not 54, but down back to where it was in the 1950s. Mm. That's what I want to say. Okay. So when crime is down, you know, stem especially to lowest where it is back in the 50s, that ain't the time to give the LAPD raises. <laughs> that ain't, that's the time to break it down. Right. <laughs> you know, what I mean? that's, the time, you know, that's the time to start deep defunding them and putting money in other places because we don't need you no more. We don't need that no more. So why are you still putting money into? It's it? not working. Right. My question is this too: is that okay? But the people always when they say defund the police. People don't understand that they still have $3.1 billion. So it's not like that they're going to be starving. So second of all, it's like what we're asking is, people always think when we say defund the police, uh, that crime like rapes and murders and all of these things are going to be uh, uh, not taken care of. But, but the problem is, what my research has shown is that the majority of the policing is not done about rapes and murders. It's done up with about quality of life crimes targeting poor people and so that's, so that's a a, a ridiculous argument. Exactly right, and I'm, I'm gonna tell you like this, man. Uh, it's it's the, the crime, crime in the city, especially like here on Skill Road, mm -hmm. right? We have the more, more majority of the police. They got what they call Comstats, right? They show where the uh, Part One crimes are most happening. Part One crimes are like you say, rape, robbery, murder, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Right? Those are Part One crimes, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it shows that more, it's more Part One crimes in South Central Compton and Watts, mm -hmm. area like that, than it is on Skill Road, mm -hmm. right? 
that Skid Row has the lowest crime rate in the city, mm-hmm. but yet we have the highest patrol rate in the city. Right? Why? Right? It's because you're trying to show off for the business people. Right? You want to clear areas. Those are the gentrifier police. You want to move poor people out of the area. It ain't about crime. It ain't about because it ain't no damn crime. It's like <laughs> Bratton right. said. You know, crime is what it was back in the fifties. There is no. So what do you do? You try to make it seem like something is going on. That's why they create all these these fake programs that stop the police spying coalitions take it up. Mm-hmm. You're like prayer pro and laser and all this kind of stuff. You know, we dismantling all those programs because we're showing they don't work. If if the mayor can say, yeah, we'll take $250 million from the police department, no problem, we'll cut their budget. If you can take $250 million, you can take the whole billion. <laughs> Get it all, come on, come on, give it in, kick it in. You got 3.5 to do what? It ain't no crime going on. Come on, you need to kick some of that in. And so, and when you kick that in, then we'll start seeing a difference in our community. Like you say, you give a person, you, I done seen gang members, I done seen addicts, you give them an opportunity. You go out there, you get that man a job. That man get a job, you know what I'm saying? Once he get a job, he gonna go get housing, he gonna start paying rent, he gonna buy a car, he gonna get a car note. And once he start getting a car note and a job and start that, he ain't gonna mess that up. He gonna wanna go to work because he wanna keep his car. He got his nice car shined up, he got his girlfriend riding around him. He wanna keep that going on, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he, he ain't gonna go out there and mess up. Exactly. Give a person opportunities and you will see a change. You know, you put the money in the police, you take it out of our communities, you create violence, you create, you know, a scavenger where we like crabs on each other and stuff like that, right? Yeah, because it shows that when, when there's enough of fruits and vegetables for everybody, and everybody is happy. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a, it's a thriving, lovely community, and that's what we want. And the only way we can do that is to defund the pigs. So let's start today. We want our money back. We want a refund. Well, there you have it. This is Theo Henderson from Weedian House. And I thank you all for listening, and may we again meet in the light of understanding. Unhoused News. Whittier, California is moving forward to create a shelter for the unhoused. The shelter will house only 187 people out of thousands. City officials are looking for funds to operate the shelter. The city budget is $72.3 million. Once the shelter is open, their primary goal of criminalizing and enforcing the anti-unhoused ordinances will be back in effect. In other news, Ward 6 Family Shelter fails inspection. Officials estimated it would open in 219. The shelter will only house 50 families and is called the AYA. Fire alarm issues, secure access, was cited. However, tipsters informed Washington City Paper as ongoing construction is on the medical clinic. Department of Human Services will terminate the contract once the shelter will house only 50 unhoused people. Other unhoused families will be put on the street. More tragic news, an unhoused man was brutally beaten to death by housed 15-year-old boy and a 17-year-old housed girl. Here's how it happened. The two teens from New Jersey brutally beat 63-year-old Bobby J. Hill Jr. He died from severe head trauma with multiple injuries to his head. Detectives found out who it was by retrieving a video evidence from one of the teen's cell phones and surveillance tapes, watching the teens enter where Mr. Hill slept and exited. Hamilton Homeless Shelter Executive dies at 59. 
Linda Kimball, executive director of Serve City, died on June 28th after a long-term illness. And lastly, HUD rule will dismantle protections for transgender houseless people. HUD under Dr. Ben Carson's leadership has proposed of allowing shelters to deny access to single-sex shelters of gender identity to accommodate religious beliefs of shelters providers. And this is Unhoused News. This is Theo Henderson from Weedy Unhoused. I'm currently here at Glendale City Hall, and there's a protest going on about cancellation of rent and eviction. Here in the studios is a, a member of this team, and I noticed he was speaking in Armenian. Could you tell us what was you chanting in the, with the Ar Armenian statement? And you can say it in Armenian if you don't mind. Absolutely. So uh, uh, we are we are saying Sonun voshte varts yev inchen kuzum vartsias kum varti chagal kum inchen kuzum yerpen kuzum hima. These are translations of food not rent and what do we want rent cancellation when do we want it now uh, and. Uh, for us, it's very important to bring in Armenian and Spanish into uh, the space because Glendale has very large Armenian-speaking and Spanish-speaking communities. Mm -hmm. um, this is a, always a work in progress, uh, but um, as uh, someone you know, who is Armenian, uh, my organizing uh, in Glendale has everything to do with uh, an, an understanding of anti-gentrification work, has everything to do with uh, preservation of long-standing immigrant communities. Uh, as part of the larger uh, fight to uh, uh, prevent displacement. Um, I, so, I, I, yeah, it's, I, it, that's, that's a very important part of what we do. Yes, I also noticed that because they also have a tendency to put us in boxes or places. I know that there were, um, my, my experience here in Glendale has always been rife with police harassment um, for a black, uh, black uh, unhoused people. So I noticed that, so it's kind of like, uh, kind of eerie to see like me able to be out here during their day, but that I noticed that they have like Latino and like you say, Armenian people here. Can you, do you know that there are the racial tensions that were going on there or about the police, uh, police brutality ide uh, ideologies that's going out here? You mean Glendale? I mean, that Glendale has a very quote-unquote rich history of, uh, uh, of racism, overt racism, specifically anti-black racism, but also by extension uh, racism against any minority uh, uh, or whatever is perceived as minority, because we are the majority, you know that, of right? Course, oh, yeah. Of course. All right? Uh, and, uh, and it, yeah, I mean, the brief history of it, this was like the West Coast uh, headquarters of uh, the clan back in the beginning 20th century i believe to this day there's like there's like weird they take this off way see but like weird like quasi swastika like signs on the on the sea hall or something i think this has recently been taken off um, and uh, this was a sundown town until the 60s um, and uh, still a sundown town to for the black and house <laughs> right no kidding yeah and and i think you know what when we um, are doing work in housing justice some folks said it better than i could earlier uh, we have to look at this as intersectional fights uh, whether it's uh, racial justice housing justice um, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, fights against queer antagonism and homophobia uh, work that is done to move towards living a society that is supportive and fair for everyone um, and uh, especially in Glendale it is kind of weird I mean um, 
The thing with Glendale is that it borders LA, like there's a exactly. big borderline yeah, with yeah, LA, yeah, yeah. but when you enter the city hall, sometimes mm -hmm. you may think you're uh, in a rural town yeah, uh, yeah. in terms of just the um, attitude, mm -hmm. not anything else, but the attitude of the city council and the city hall um, uh, towards its uh, residents, its constituents, mm -hmm. and the way that they think they can just do whatever and uh, and not and get away with it. Um, and I, we are intent on changing that. Well said. This is Theo Henderson from Weedian House. I thank you for your time, and I, ho I hope we all meet again in the light of understanding. Hi, this is Theo Henderson from Weedian House. We're here live now here at Glendale, at Glendale City Hall. I'm here speaking to one of the activists. We're talking about canceling rent, rent uh, eviction ban, and I want to hear her thoughts on what's going on. Hi, Theo, this is Nico. Um, yeah, we are the Glendale Tenants Union. Um, we're a tenant center and tenants-led movement. Um, we've been doing work mostly um, around, you know, answering any questions that people have uh, regarding their rights and also making sure um, that no one is being harassed by landlords, no one is being unlawfully evicted, um, especially during this time of COVID-19. We know that our communities who are most affected, disproportionately affected by COVID-19, are also affected by housing rights issues, are unhoused, undocumented. Um, and so this work for us is intimately bound up with, obviously, all Black Lives Matter, obviously making sure queer and trans siblings are housed safe. Um, and yeah, that's um, that's just a, a little brief um, for the work we do. What is the City Hall, uh, Glendale City Hall's response to this? Uh, Glendale City Hall, um, the council has largely ignored us. Um, they've ignored tenants. Um, tenants make up almost 70% of the residents in Glendale. Um, and, you, you know, we, we're a large majority. We're also a super diverse, um, heterogeneous majority. Um, yeah, most meetings we... Um, Tenants' uh, concerns don't even uh, wind up on the agenda, so um, we do a lot of pushback um, and try and converse with and make sure that at least there are talking points. Of course, like our focus isn't electoral politics. That's only going to go so far. We don't really believe any of these people are going to enact the changes we want. That's what grassroots um, movement work, organizing, local organizing work is for. Um, but I think slowly um, there's a, been a little bit of uh, a push or a change. I think um, hopefully city council is hearing us and listening to us. Um, and 
if they're not, um, we're going to be there for our neighbors no matter what. We're going to be there making sure nobody is getting evicted um, and doing what we can to stand in solidarity. I was going to ask because I noticed you guys were uh, telling what's the way for people to come involved and, and speak out against this? Is there anything that anybody can do here in Glendale? Um, getting involved with us is uh, a huge step. Um, we are a volunteer-led and run organization. There's only about 10 of us, four members, um, and then of course, uh, probably I would say between 50 and 100 um, who have been signing on, um, and more and more so people. I mean, that's really what we need in numbers right now. Um, so we're focusing on outreach and trying to grow to at least 500, maybe hopefully in a year. But um, for those who want to get involved, uh, just basics, calling city council, putting pressure on them on Tuesdays, um, not spending, you know, the majority of the time doing that because, again, it only goes so far. Um, and then, of course, just doing work with us, outreach, talking to our neighbors, making sure people know, making sure they know we exist, um, you know, especially Spanish and Armenian speakers um, getting involved uh, because this isn't a movement until we have really everyone who, who is, feels they can be a part of this, um, folks who don't speak English, folks who might be undocumented, the elderly, um, disabled folks. So. Well, thank you very much. You've given us um, a lot of food for thought. And I thank you all for uh, listening as well. And may we again meet in the light of understanding. This episode highlights and honors the other first responders. It also gives attention to the ongoing protests that are still going on this summer about equality, housing equality, eviction bans, and cancellation of rent. I'll add further, we also will need subsidies for rent as well as food for the unhoused community, as well as people that are housed and secure in order to stabilize the economy and to give a sense of stability in the families' lives that are housing and secure. It is my hope that we understand that we have more power than we realize. And unfortunately, the criminal of the city councils and police officers have slithered their way into the hearts of very few people that are very disdainful of poverty and poor people. We must take this back and remind them in no uncertain terms that they are responsible for us, they answer to us, and that we will not accept any type of untoward behavior toward poor people, unhoused people, or anybody that is a part of the system. Sheriff Villanova has been crying along with Sheriff Joe Clark about how there is an anti-police sentiment. If you consider for the moment that there has been an ongoing war on poor people by the Los Angeles Police Department and other police departments across the country, the question is, you have to have some part to play in it. What part did the police play in it? And it's never highlighted. It's never acknowledged. And the only thing that's done is the using deflective conversational points about black on black violence, which I would like to take the moment here because some African-Americans and black Americans uh, love to point that out. So let us be clear. That is an anti-black statement. The difference between black on black crime and police brutality is most often than not, when black on black crime is committed, 
they're usually apprehended and they meet the full weight of the justice system. That is not what police brutality does when they commit crimes or the criminals and the thugs that perpetuates criminal acts against unarmed people or people existing in a situation. Even if they are uh, criminals, they still are accorded civil rights. The thing that happens to them, they get a paid leave or suspension. At the worst, if the situation is egregious, they will relieve them of their job. But there's no criminal charges. And then once they are, they're usually dismissed by fawning or deifying people that believe in police brutality against people of color or people that believe that we should only discuss black on black crime before we look into the issue of police brutality. There is no such thing as black on black crime. If there is, there's such thing as white on white crime, Asian on Asian crime, Latino on Latino crime, the list goes on. The usually is that statement is reductive deliberately and its message is to paralyze people of color like black Americans from standing up and having the temerity of speaking out against the injustices there. One more thing, black on black crime is, is, is not true, but I also think it's deliberately omitted by people that's taught that they disrespect the black men and women that have spoken about the violence in their neighborhoods for years, the gang members that called truces the, uh, the other community members that have worked in those very communities that they keep bringing up, like my hometown, Chicago, as the result of black on black crime. We need to stop that narrative and we need to call the attention to even black Americans that state that. There is no such thing of that. We need to get rid of the anti-black sentiment even in our own communities in order for us to be able to move forward and talk over the other issues that the city uses as a pivot point to escape blame, such as cancellation of rent, eviction bans, subsidies, and infiltration of funds and infusion of funds in those communities, those distressed communities that the colonizers or gentrifiers have infiltrated in poor neighborhoods with these trendy restaurants. If we have people that are concerned about uh, this black on black crime or the crime level, give these underhoused or these black individuals positions of authorities in their communities. Give them things to hope for, things to work for, and things to repair some of the damages that are in our community. Substance usage clinics, as harm reduction sites, trauma-informed care, these are things that we've been talking about for years, but somehow it misses the conversational point when we talk about black on black crime. The other first responders understands this. That's why they're out there in the ditches. And this is one of the things, if you want to join that, understand, be educated on the whole situation before you take a part of it and cherry pick it to further your dismissive aims. This is Theo Henderson from Weedian House. I thank you all for listening. May we all again meet in the light of understanding. <laughs>